I want us to look at our foundation scriptures uh, this morning, a couple of them. And then we've got some other we're going to go through today. I'm going to try my best to finish the series today um, <clears throat> that we began last week. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's where I've gotten this whole phrase of yoked, okay? Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness. And we said that we know that light and darkness can never mix because we turn the lights off in this room, it's dark. <clears throat> there is no um, outside source of light coming in the building and so it would be dark. But the moment the light comes on, light always has victory over darkness. Jesus is the light of the world, and that light lives in you. So wherever you go, come on, the light of the world's on the scene, and darkness has to dispel. Darkness has to flee. So it never mixes together. And then it mentions that we're not to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. I said this last week, a little controversial, but I think you understand the point. I don't believe that the Lord's only talking about those who are not saved. I believe it's further than that because I met Christians that are unbelievers. In other words, they love God, they're going to heaven, not going to judge them on any of those details. I'm just simply saying in life, they don't believe a lot of stuff. And I definitely don't want to be yoked to somebody who doesn't believe in me. So be very clear on that. It's more than just being friends with the world and there's much to say about that. That's for another time. But to be yoked together with somebody that's even a born-again child of God who simply doesn't believe in me or my destiny, that's unequal. And God says don't be yoked together. Amos chapter 3 verse 3 says, can two... Walk together unless they are agreed? The answer is absolutely they cannot walk together. If they're, if they're not agreed, how can they actually walk in the same direction? One's making a decision to go this way. The other one's making a decision to go that way. They can't be together. And so we talked about last week about what does it mean to be yoked. And the, the greatest illustration is the simplest form as they understood in those times as well is that it would be like oxen, and one ox has a certain amount of ox power, and has one ox power, but, you know, it can do some pretty good work. But if you can put them together and get them to move in the same direction, one plus one equals two, and now they have double the power they had before. So they would put what they call a yoke on them. And that yoke would be, look, you know, the exact same. And it would be, it would be actually something to be fastened together and be put over their harness around their heads and shoulders. So they had to pull together. So it was impossible for them to pull in different directions. That's what it means to be yoked. So last week I gave you the kind of people that come into your life that maybe you don't want in your life. And that first one is the part timer. And the part timer is the person that comes to your life, and they're not going to be there forever. You know, they're there. They're, you know, they're pretty good people. They, you know, they support you somewhat. But they're like scaffolding to a building project. You know, once the building has been made or built, the scaffolding comes down and goes away. Sometimes there will be people in your life that are part-timers that come. They help you build up your life a little bit, but they move on, and they're on to other things. And then we said the second kind of friendship that we can have, a um, relationship that is out there, is called the ally. And allies are important, but they're not full-on friends. In other words, allies are people that take up the same causes you take up. So they love to feed the hungry. They, they like the after-dark program. They go out there. They, they love to uh, take care of uh, uh, people that are shut in. Uh, they like causes, social causes, political causes. And they'll get together, and when they have coffee, their main topic is the cause they both support. But outside of the cause, 
they really don't know one another. They don't know each other's, uh, they don't know each other's children's names, maybe even one another's spouse's name, but they're real close when it comes to being allied together as partners. But the third kind of friend is not the kind of friend you find always. They, they may come once or twice in your life, maybe a little bit more than that if you're, you're very fortunate, but they're called the covenant friend. And that's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I'm not saying to be greedy and want all your friends to be that way because sometimes they're part-timers, sometimes they're allies. But sometimes you get a covenant friend, and that covenant friend is the one who supports you simply because they love you. Not because the cause you support, not because the things that you say, not because they think you look good one day and, and, or, and, 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 and you're fashionable. None of that matters to them. What matters to them is that they love you. They love your spirit. They love where you're going. They love your destiny. They love your purpose. They're behind you. And, when, and, when, and when, when you walk into a room and you start sharing some of your victories, they put the phone down. They ain't on social media. They want to hear what you got to say. And when you get a victory, they shout as loud as you do or louder. They feel like they're a partaker. How many would like to have some covenant friends? And this morning, I want to talk or give you, um, quickly if I can, uh, the kinds of people that you should not be yoked to, uh, if at all possible, if you want to achieve your destiny. And by the way, you've heard the saying before, let me say it again. If you show me your friends, I will show you your future. Say it again. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. That's the direction of your life. That's where your life is heading. So you might want to think about the friends right now. Some of y'all are not going to listen to the rest I preach because all I'm going to think about right now is the friends you got. And there's some decisions that have to be made. Because you don't want to be going, some of you got to go, wow, I don't want to go that direction. That's not where I want my life to end up. And so you have to make some decisions. We don't forsake people. We don't not love people. We always want to be there if we can for people. But you don't get yoked together with them. The Bible tells you that. Amen. Don't be yoked with them because that's the direction you're going to end up going. So number one, the type of person that we don't want to yoke to are called the forsakers. The forsakers. Now these are the people who start but never finish. They, they would be considered surface-level people at best. As soon as they see problems in your life, they're gone. As soon as there's any type of situation that, that, that needs more than one person to handle, they don't want to be the person to help you out. They're gone. And what we're looking for, we're looking for some, I would say, some Timothys and some Tituses, according to the Bible. That's, that's, that's Bible language now we're talking here. Because Paul talked about this and said, look, he, by the way, Paul, the apostle Paul penned two-thirds of the New Testament that we have called the Bible. And yet there was a time and season where people were shunning him and pushing away from him and forsaking him. There were a lot of forsakers in Paul's life. And the biggest reason was because Paul didn't always look like he was serving a God who wanted to give him victory or breakthrough. Matter of fact, many times it looked like that he was not getting breakthrough and that he had no victory. Matter of fact, there was a time when he starts one of his, one of his epistles or letters to the church and said, Do not be ashamed of my chains. Because they were leaving him left and right and wouldn't visit him in prison. This is the man that talked to Jesus. This was the man that had an encounter with God. This is the man that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Miracle signs and wonders followed him wherever he went. And yet, here he is in prison, and people wouldn't come to visit. But who did? Timothy did. Titus did. Why? They were covenant friends. They stick closer than brothers. They're not just friends on pen and paper or contract. Indeed, there are people that say, I love you. I'll never leave your side no matter what. I'm looking for some loyal people in my life. 
Loyalty is a big thing these days. The forsakers are only there when everything is good and then there's some, uh, there's some like exciting things happening or going on. They love a party. They're always there when, they're, uh, they're, they're, when there's something going on that's fun. They're attracted to fun. And by the way, they're also attracted to drama. You don't hear from somebody for two years and you got a little drama going on in your life, a little stuff happening in your marriage. And I heard, can I, we have coffee? I'd like to talk to you. Just so we can pray about it together. Hallelujah. Am I right? They love drama. The prodigal son, uh, he wanted to get his inheritance from his father. He's rebellious. And he said, son, it's yours. You can take it if you want. He takes it. He was of age. He takes it. The Bible says he goes and spends it on riotous or party lifestyle. A party. And he had all these friends hanging out with him. They loved the prodigal son. They loved him as long as the money was flowing. And there was drama to be had. They loved hearing the stories how he went and took the money from the father. They liked hearing all the family disputes and all the problems and situations. But as soon as he had no more to talk about, they all fled and left. Everybody say they're forsakers. And forsakers are what? Takers. Come on, somebody. And so number two is this. The second kind of person that you don't want to be yoked to are called the self-righteous people. And the self-righteous people, they tend to be know-it-alls. How come you can't talk anything and give them any new information? You start talking about, you start talking about what you just learned. And go, oh, yeah, I know that already. You lie, you fry. You don't know nothing. Am I right? Self-righteous, always uh, hoity-toity, nose in the air, too good, sedidified. Come on, somebody. You know, they, they, they know all the answers. They, they got God in their back pocket. They, they know the Bible inside and out, and, and they can't wait to tell you how wrong you are and prove it by what the Word's got to say about it. You ain't my Holy Ghost. Amen. So they might speak the truth, but they tend to do it without love. Why? Because they'd rather be right than love you through your problem to get to what's right. I want to find some people in my life that will love me back to health, that will love me back to prosperity, that will love me back to my destiny. I don't need a bunch of people pointing fingers and saying, I told you so. Amen. Didn't they teach us when we were kids, one finger pointing this way, you got three pointing back at yourself? Amen. And so look, you can either be right or you can do right. I said you could either be right or you can do right. You got to make up your mind. In other words, what I'm trying to say by that is even if you're right and somebody else thinks you're wrong, sometimes it's best to take the high road. And don't be argumentative and don't throw the Bible at them and don't get on social networks saying how wrong you really are. I am so sick and tired of all these social media warriors that get out there and they got big old muscles behind that keyboard telling you how wrong you are but never will confront you to your face. We need some people, if you're going to confront me, come to my face and tell me. But what I really want is you to do it in love. What you really need people to do it in love. All these opinions. Same, everybody got all these answers but ain't living none of them themselves. That's what we call, that's what we call self-righteous hypocritical. Amen. But I feel good, man. I'm happy, happy. Number three, 
type of person you don't want to be yoked to is the immature people. These people, the immature people, are warm, fun, they're loving, they really do care, but they're very difficult to fully trust. I've met so many people like this in my life. I genuinely like them. I genuinely love them. But I'm not going to give you the key to my house. You're going to lose it. Someone's going to take it from you. They're going to steal everything I got because you are immature. And because you're immature, that makes you irresponsible. And those kind of people come in your life and they suck you dry. They don't mean, they're fun to hang out with. They're a blast, but you can bestow no responsibility on them whatsoever. If you want to help them out and pay, they say, they say I just need $20 to get through. I just got $20 for gas money for this week for, 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 for gas for work, and you give them $20. Just don't expect it back. Don't borrow it. Don't, don't even put yourself in that position. Don't be frustrated. Don't borrow it. If they ask for 100 bucks, just say, well, I got it. I'm going to give it to you. Here you go. Be blessed, and we're all going to have a great day. It's seed in the ground. <laughs> because the immature people, they're going to pay you back. Thank you for that $20. I'm going to put that right in my tank. And they go right down and play the, what is the Powerball or something, you know, lottery or something. I was trying to double my money. I didn't make it this time, but can you borrow me another 20 bucks? Praise God. They're irresponsible. They live for the moment, never thinking about the consequences. Without a show of hand, but just a little nod. How many has had a friend like that right now in your life? Just because a little, oh, look, look at that. Oh, my God, whiplash just happened all over the. The room, whiplash. <laughs> Somebody just raise their hand. Sitting right here, right here. Owe me $20 right now. <laughs> the truth is, if you have these kinds of friends in your life, you're usually apologizing for them all the time. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just the way it is, you know. Paying for their irresponsibleness. How come they're the ones that leave their debit card at home every time you go out to eat? I don't even think that's immature. I just think that's slick. That's what that is. <laughs> Covering for them, making excuses for them to other people all the time. Because you love them, right? You love them. But they cannot be trusted. You cannot... Uh, you cannot put your name behind them uh, for somebody. They say, hey, do they work good? I'd like to hire them. What do you think? And you're like... I, I love them, but I can't say yes. Amen. They're fun, but they cannot be your covenant friend. And by the way, God has that person, that covenant friend. You don't have to force this thing. God's got that person. Either you have them right now, and you start really looking at them differently, or they're coming into your life. He just wants, Here's the thing with God. He just wants to be first. See, God wants to be covenant first. God wants to be put first in your life. I know we have a lot of single people in our church uh, today, and we want to get you married, praise God. We just got to get the men to grow up, and we got to get the women to grow up a little bit and get you in your place, and God was going to put you together. You watch us. We've had so many people get married in this church over the last 20 years. We really have. But there's so many more that are going to get married, and that concerns me sometimes. I'll think about it, and I'll go, man, Lord, we got to get some good people in here. Uh, they're going to go somewhere else, and it's called here. And they need to come. These, these people need to get here so they can get these, these nice, you know, ladies married and men married and amen. But they're single people. But the problem that I found out with most people, most single people are, they don't put God first. Not to put you down. I'm, I talk to married people the same way too. It's like a thing. We want what we want. 
I mean, we got, you got your vision board out there, Gail, girls. You got your vision board of your man up there. I don't even know what I can use an analogy. Uh, some man, I don't know. I don't really follow men that much, but I'll just say this. He's got six-pack, you know, he's looking good, sweat beating off him a little bit. I don't know. It's your deal. It's your vision. And there he is. And then right next to him, you got a money sign because you want that money. Then right next to him, you got a Ferrari. You know, you're planning out your life, and Lord, I pray, and you start declaring in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord God, for my man walking into my life today. You said you would give me the desires of my boy. You got that scripture down. You said you would give me the desires of my heart. And this is what I want. Nothing less than a six-pack and a Ferrari, praise God. And I want him to love me and my children, and I want him to be a part of my life. And, my, and, I, and you got But what, what about your praying and saying, Lord, what is it you want? Before Zach Efron, is that a name, Zach Efron? Before that, how about what does Jesus Christ want? Why, why don't we identify what he wants and put him first? And I, the Bible says if we put him first, he puts us first. Church, we, we, need to become, we need to become the people we're looking for. When Job focused on his friends, the Bible said when he prayed for his friends, when he got real about his friends, when he became what they needed, when he indulged not in himself but got himself off of his pain, his service, and literally became what they needed, began to pray for them, the Bible says that's when Job was healed and then he was restored of all that he had lost. We need to become what we're looking for. If you want somebody stable in your life, be stable to somebody else. If you want somebody to uh, a, a shoulder to cry on, have your shoulder open at any moment for them to cry on your shoulder. You see, reaping, sowing, and reaping. Whatever I sow, I reap. And, and who you're yoked to will not only affect the direction of your life, but also your emotional stability. We have it right here. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. You're emotionally a wreck. You're unstable. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Say my yoke. Jesus got a yoke. He said, take my yoke upon you. Notice he didn't say, I'm going to be yoked to you by your yoke. He's saying you got to come up over here and be yoked under my yoke. Upon you, and he said, Learn from me, for I am what? I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So we're not exempt from being yoked from, to nobody. We're, we need to be yoked to Jesus first. Before we're yoked to anybody else, him first. And when we're yoked to him, we have these heavy burdens and we're, we're heavy laden, the Bible says. We're, 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 over, we're, over, we're overwhelmed in life. He said his yoke will cause what? An ease to come to you, a gentleness to come to you, a loneliness and rest for your soul, and the burden will be removed. There will be light unto you. In other words, what did I say just a moment ago? That's what I said. I said not only is the yoke, uh, the person that you're yoked to bring direction to your life, but also your emotional stability. Now, let me reiterate this point. Relationships are not granted to you. They are earned. So there is a risk that you got to take. The Bible says that we are, to, we are commanded to love others, right? That's without any debate. 
We're commanded to love others, but we are not commanded to trust others. On the flip side of this issue, if you're unwilling to take the risk of trusting someone, you will find your life filled with a bunch of almosts. If you don't trust people, it's like almost a good father, but I couldn't trust a mentor. Almost a good mother, but couldn't trust other mothers to speak into my life. Almost successful in business, but didn't trust a leader to truly train me. Almost a good husband or wife, but never trusted anyone to ask them questions. Almost a ministry leader, but didn't trust the motives of other ministers to help you out. So at some point, though I'm commanded to love you, I'm not commanded to trust you because trust isn't something that's granted. Trust is something that's earned. But what I'm trying to teach you this morning is at some point you're going to have to trust. So that means at some point you got to by faith put yourself out there to see if somebody can earn your trust. And some of you are very vulnerable because you've been in situations where you put yourself out there before and you got burned and you got hurt. I know I'm not talking to 100% of everybody in this room. I get that. But I am talking to a large majority of the people and those watching online of people been they've been burned. They've been hurt by other people. They've been hurt by other pastors like me. They've been hurt by other church leaders and church world. And I used to make a little light of that. And nobody taught me not to do that except for the Holy Spirit. Because even though maybe I don't always understand what they're going through, i got to understand that what they went through was real. And they need to be healed. And so it's hard to put yourself back out there to trust another mate again. Some of you are remarried, you don't trust the person you got because the one that was before you hurt you so bad. And so it's very difficult for you just to offer your trust. But slowly but surely, they earn it. But if they earn it, they should get it. But what if they hurt me again? That's the risk you have to take. Every pastor, those watching online, and you in this room that's hurt you previously, you got to give another pastor a shot to see if he can earn your trust or that leadership in that body can earn your trust because truly, truly we are the body of Christ. we got to come together. God has preordained that we must rely on each other in order to succeed in life. So success and destiny equals other people. I can't get there. Get this in your spirit. Get a revelation. You can't get there by yourself. God never designed it for you to be by yourself. So at some point, yes, you love, but at another point, you have to learn to trust. And you can't fully do that without having a revelation of who you are, who they are, and who he is in relationship to you. Sometimes God will put you into situations where you have to trust someone. Ouch. I've been in those positions. That's uncomfortable. I didn't want to trust them, but I was put in a, I can't go back. I can't go forward. They're the only person here. And so I've got to put my trust in them, believing and trusting God all the way, having one eye open on them. Come on, somebody. I'm watching you. I'm watching you, right? And, and, and then and watch God do a miracle in that. I won't get into all the boring details of my own personal stories, but I can tell you I've had one after the other of people I did not trust. And before too long, after I put in a position where I had to trust them, they became some of my best friends. But I'm reminded of, of John the Baptist 
and how John the Baptist uh, being the cousin of, of Jesus. And they knew each other very well. And um, John knew his call and his destiny. He was the one who stood between the Old and the New Testament. He was the pro last prophet of the Old Testament. He knew that his calling was to usher in a new movement, and his anointing was to usher in the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Christ. So that was, his, that was his calling. So the whole time he's out there at the River Jordan baptizing people for the mission of sin and calling uh, and, and, and speaking tr uh, truth to power, that's what he did. This ultimately got him in trouble, big trouble. But he spoke truth to power because he was a true prophet of God. By the way, we need true prophets of God that are not afraid of power and authority. That can speak truth no matter what. I want to go into a position... Uh, I want to go into places, and I have been there somewhat. I, I think more is going to come. As the Lord can trust me, more will come. But I want to go into places where they invite me to a banquet, and I mean, it's a great honor to be there. But at the same point, I'm not afraid to speak the truth to any power or any authority because let me just teach you something. Let me just teach you something. Y'all ready for this? It's really hard to tell, tell Pharaoh what's right and wrong when you're on Pharaoh's payroll. But if you can't be bought, come on somebody. Y'all didn't even hear me. Then you've got no problem speaking truth to power because you understand you have a relation. You're not my source. God is my source and God alone. Isn't that what we're all crying out for? A true voice from God? All of us? We all want that. John the Baptist is baptizing for the remission of sins, for a movement, movement of God. And he sees Jesus, and he's the one who makes the announcement, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He sees Jesus not as his cousin anymore, but as the Lamb of God who takes away. He's the Messiah. His eyes are opened. Spirit of God comes down like a dove, and heaven's open, and God speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Everybody hears it. Everybody hears it. Baptize me, John. No, I can't. I'm not worthy. He said, you have to. For though it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. And he prophesies over him. And just after that, the Bible says he speaks truth to power. And the king has him thrown in prison. And he's tricked out of some stuff. And now he's been, his head has been called for to be beheaded. He's in the prison. He knows he's not coming out. Look what it says in Matthew 11, 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, get this, are you the coming one? This is John's question to Jesus. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? I thought John was the one that baptized Jesus and behold the Lamb of God. And here's the voice of God from heaven. It says, this is my beloved son. Okay? But now he's in prison, and he's second-guessing everything. Notice how the seasons have changed in both their lives. Jesus now has the big crowds. He had nobody following before. He's got big crowds now, and John is the one who doesn't have the crowds anymore, but now he's in prison. And when you get a place of isolation, because prison is isolation from those you love, family, friends, everybody. That's when deep offense can get in. That's when you begin to question everything. 
And John's offense could be that Jesus now, he's a big shot. He's the next up and coming. What am I, chopped liver? I'm over here wasting away in the prison. I'm on death row. Could it be that even John could have been offended with Jesus? Because look, let's be honest about it. There's no record of it. He has to send men to talk to Jesus. Could it be that John's even offended that Jesus never took the time to visit him while he was in prison? All I'm, I'm just looking at human nature. I think I might be. I think I might be. I, I, you're the Messiah? You can walk on water? You can heal the sick, raise the dead? I'm over here in prison. Help, please. Remember me? Y'all don't want to hear this today. So now he's in a place of isolation. He's cut up from relationship, and now he's beginning to question everything in his life, including the most important prophecy he would ever give and the world would ever know. That lets me know we can't live isolated. We can't be by ourselves. We can't go into the jail cell of our lives, close the doors. I can't trust nobody. We need each other. Feelings of insecurity overwhelm. Maybe saying things, I don't matter to you, God. I don't matter here. Disrespect. Not important. John was asking out of desperation, are you the one or do we look for another? And Jesus' response in Matthew eleven four 4 was this. Jesus answered and said to them, go tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. This is where the old timers begin to shout. Come on, somebody. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Jesus says the word. Don't be offended, John. Jesus was saying, don't let what you think you've seen derail you from my relationship with you. Did you catch that? Amen. My point to you is very simple. Comparison with other people will take you down. Let me just talk about this for just another moment in time here. I need to say something here. You got to quit looking at other people thinking they're better than you, got more than you, happier than you, got more joy than you, got more money than you got more time than you. All of that, that's nonsense. Comparison, compare is sin. I said compare is sin. You're unique. God called you. You've got your own story. You are the apple of his eye. You are the only one he's concerned about. You are the reason why there you couldn't even be on this planet without having a purpose from God. Don't let what you think you've seen derail you from my relationship with you. Just because you saw it on social media, don't, don't you ever think that I don't cry a river of tears on my own. Just because you saw it on social media how good my life is, don't ever think that I haven't been depressed before in my life. Just because you saw me on social media smile with a big cheese selfie, hey, everybody, hashtag happy, whatever. Don't think that I don't have my own issues and my own problems going on in my life. Don't let a comparison spirit get you in a place where he causes an offense with the very one who can bring you salvation. 
And I'm talking about not John and Jesus' relationship only out of this. He's one of the reasons salvation because we know that. But I'm talking about there are people that God's called that will bring salvation to you. In other words, they're called by God to help you through a very dark time or situation. Don't cut the relationship off. Because one thing I know, everything that's of God gets tested. And if it's going to be pure gold, it's got to walk through the fire. And that means that lets, you, lets me know that covenant relationships, though they're of God, sometimes, well not sometimes, every time, they will go through the fire. Your relationship will be tested. And there will be opportunity for you to be offended with the very one who has the power to help you out of a situation. I can't tell you the number of times of people, well, <laughs> a person, hallelujah, in my life, that I've been so offended with, you know. So offended. I'm thinking, I don't need this. What am I doing here? How much have ever felt like that? Like, I don't need this. I call you, you don't call me back? Shh. I write you a love letter, tell you how great you are. You just send me a thumbs up, like, that's it, that's all. I'll kick you out of my life with my shoe. I get offended. I take the time to write you, you don't take the time to write me back? And what I learned that offends you are the things that you would never do. And if you would never do it, that's the thing. If they do it to you, the thing you would never do, that gets you offended. And now you got a point. So I got my point now, see. I got, I'm, I'm righteous about this thing. He was wrong. I don't need to waste my time with this kind of energy. And God will remind you who they are in your life. And they're not there to give you a thumbs up. And they're not there to give you an attaboy. And they're not there to give you a pat on the back. And they're not there to call you in the midnight hour and say how great you are. But there's something about their life. It's like a muse. They say call it a muse. There's something about in their life they have that pulls you into your destiny. And it makes you mad sometimes, but you can't help it. There's something on them that's called to you that pulls you where you're supposed to be. And I have been challenged by that. And God will say, let it go. I said, rebuke them, Lord. Rebuke them. How dare that? I send the money. I sent the money too. Rebuke him, Lord. And the Lord said, No, no, no. He said, I rebuke you. I'm right. I'm doing everything right. I rebuke you. You're prideful. You do things to get something. Ooh. I said, That ain't fair, Lord. You even gave us Jesus so you get people saved. Come on now, that ain't even fair. No, he gave them freely. And people, have a, they can make up their mind what they want to do. When you give something, you give it with your heart, with no strings attached to it, and then you live free. So be very careful you don't push people, even somebody like me, out of your life because I didn't respond to you in a particular way. If I'm your pastor and I'm called to you and you're called to me, be careful. Don't let offense get in, even if I'm a jerk. This is giving me license to be a jerk. I'm going to be a jerk. I'm testing everybody. That's not what I mean. I mean in your mind. I didn't do something the way you thought, and now I'm a jerk. But still, first of all, you got to love me. Because you are commanded to do that. But then you're going to cut me a break because you go, but my, my destiny's wrapped up with that guy. Right? Same thing with me. Same thing with you and your kids. 
Oh, see, I'm preaching real good now. Amen. Kids, we teach them they got to love your mom and dad, even when you're a jerk to them. Right? Still mom? Still dad? Still need to be honored. Amen. Amen. Now, let me give you, oh, my goodness, the time. I just need two more hours. Is that cool? We good? Woo! Jesus. Maybe we'll do an hour, cut for a quick lunch break, go to Rockford Cocos, come back over here and finish it up. All right. Give me five minutes. I'm done. Less than that. Let me give you a couple wisdom keys. I want to finish today. First wisdom key is wisdom is the ability to recognize difference. Understand your place. Understand the differences. When I was invited uh, into the mayor, actually it was uh, Rich uh, hooked it up where we could have a, a meeting with the mayor, talk about things in the city. We went and we went, met, met with him. Rich and I didn't walk in and go, what's up, player? No. We didn't do that. We didn't do that. We, we didn't walk in there and just take, just plop down on his couch and put our feet up on his credenza. No. We had decorum. We walked in there and said, and, and I'm going to tell you something. I pray for the mayor. I don't agree with him on a lot of things. But it doesn't matter. My political view doesn't matter. What's important is I respect the office. And the next guy gets in there. I may not agree with everything because pretty hard to agree with everything. No matter who you are. But I'm not going to go in there. And I said, I said, hello, Mr. Mayor. You call him by his title, Mr. Mayor. I didn't call him by his first name. Okay, what's up, Tommy boy? What's up? <laughs> didn't do any of that, right? No. I, I wait for him to ask us to have a seat, which I don't think he did that day. But um, <laughs> so preachers, okay, uh, five minutes. Here we go. <laughs> And, um, and so, and, but you have decorum. So you have to understand, their wisdom is knowing differences. Knowing where you're supposed to speak and when you're not supposed to speak. Some people act a fool no matter where they go. And you know what's scary? They don't care. And then they wonder why nobody's calling them to the top. I'm going to leave it right there. Jesus is hung between two thieves. One says he's a criminal. You're just like us. The other one says he's the Christ. There's an anointing and a wisdom to know the difference between the two. Amen. Number two, the second wisdom key is, is that wisdom is the ability to recognize a moment. Wisdom is, is the ability to recognize an opportunity, a moment. I've watched people pray and pray and pray for God to help them and then pass right by an opportunity God was setting up for them. I don't know what they're waiting for. It was right there in front of them. I guess it was too natural for to be supernatural, right? And um, then the third thing I'm going to bring up here is, uh, was there a third thing? Let me just say it this way. It kind of is, and then I'm, I'm, I'm going to be done here. That's what Jerry is. Jesus, the son of David. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. He screamed, shut up, shut up. He screamed, he screamed louder, have mercy on me. He, had, he recognized, I only have this opportunity. It's not the time to be quiet here. This is the time to shout. Right? And let me make this point, and I'm going to close. Nature determines behavior. When you understand the nature of a thing, its behavior will never surprise you. So you've heard the story of the man who found a snake in his lawn, backyard. And he picks the snake up, 
and he loves the snake and brings the snake into the house and feeds the snake and gets the snake in an aquarium to sleep in a light to keep it warm and he gives it water and he loves that snake and he's t- taking care of it. He's readable about it to understand it and, you know, he starts talking to the snake, you know. He's loving little baby snake. So he gets the snake. snake grows up and uh, he thought, I love the snake so much. I'm going to take the snake everywhere I go. So he had his coat jacket and what he would do is he, he put that snake in his pocket. So wherever he went, work, wherever, he, was, he had that snake with him. So one day, he thought, I'm going to pet the snake. So he gets in there and pets the snake. When he pets the snake, that snake, whack, I mean, bites him on the hand. He shakes it loose and grabs the snake by his neck and looks at it and says, why did you bite me? I've done nothing but feed you and love you and take care of you and give you warmth at night and something to drink every day. And I, I, I've been there for you. Even took you to work with me and everywhere. I go to the grocery store, everywhere. And you bite me? And the snake looked back at him and said, well, I'm a snake after all. Once you know the nature of a thing, you can determine its behavior. Oh, come on, somebody. Amen, amen. Would you take a moment and bow your head and close your eyes in this place?